Every 4th of July, when John Humphrey was a kid, one of his neighbors would host a huge block party. And at the end of the 4th of July parties every summer, he'd set off a gazillion black cats. I mean, it just seemed to go on and on. My folks never let us get black cats. We'd get smoke bombs, snakes, things that weren't inherently dangerous. So, as I always tell my son, best thing about being an adult is you've got an income. You can get all the stuff you always wanted to get as a kid but didn't have the money. From a dot in the middle of the map, this is Midwesternish. I'm Gina Kaufman. You can just tell that this story is going nowhere good. John became a lawyer and an adult, which meant he could buy all the fireworks he wanted until one fateful holiday when, you know what, I'm just going to let John take it from here. I would go buy just the consumer fireworks that were available at the tents, and the neighbors that were there, you know, they'd all come out and watch, and we had little kid parades, you know, in the battery-operated Barbie cars. You know, a couple of neighbor kids would process down the street to John Philip Sousa, Stars and Stripes, and then I'd set off, you know, these parachutes and skyrockets. The neighbors loved it. Oh, they look forward to it every year. You know, they'd always say, are you going to put on your fireworks? Yes, yes. Oh, wait till you see this year. My wife would cook out, so my family would all come over. When the fireworks started getting bigger and bigger, my mom said, okay, I'm leaving now if the fireworks are starting. So there were some detractors. And then I got an inside contact who could get M80s, which are, of course, illegal. The first year I got M80s, I got, I don't know, maybe a dozen. And within the next couple of years, I was buying them by the gross. It's kind of like a 60-year-old man buying a Corvette. It's just the epitome of all power. It is so loud, the concussion is tremendous, and they are so, so dangerous. There was one guy who lived down the street and around the corner. He, at the time, was probably close to 70, He came down one night. It was well past the 4th of July, but I would walk around the neighborhood and willy-nilly just light them and throw them, throw them in the sewers, boom, boom, boom. Walk around with a plumbing blowtorch, and he said, what are you doing lighting off those fireworks? I guess you know those are illegal. I said, well, nobody else is complaining. And he replied that, well, all the other neighbors are afraid of you. And I said like a jerk, as it should be. By 2003, I had started getting the big commercial fireworks that, like you see at Royal Stadium when the home runs go off. I had sense enough that year to use caution tape to tape off the backyard. My wife had found out how much I spent on the fireworks for 2003, and she was mad. She was really mad, and she said, if you're spending that kind of money, we're not even talking about this, that's it. I'm not even going to be here. I'm not cooking out for your family. I'm leaving. Sure enough, July 4th afternoon, around 4 or 5, my wife left the house. So when everybody gathered at my house, and all the neighbors had gathered and been sufficiently lubricated with drink... And when it got almost completely dark, I started the show and 10 of the mortars went up and these were designed just for the explosion. And oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. 
As soon as they went off, I could see these, the embers from their fuses drifting to the ground over the rest of the display. And almost immediately after that, you know, hell broke out. The mortars on the ground started discharging in every direction. I mean, it's still terrifying to think about. It took a half a second before people to realize, uh-oh, something really went wrong. And this was the first year there had ever been any incident. And so people that were on my driveway, I still had it taped off, were diving for cover. My older brother was sitting closest to the display with his wife. He threw her on the ground and threw his body on top of her. My mother-in-law was there with her significant other. You know, and they were elderly. They couldn't really scramble as fast as other people. But by the grace of God, nobody got hit that time. There was a brief lull in the madness. And we started walking up towards these mortars, some of which were still standing. And a second volley launched. And... Everybody just ran as far as they could and let it burn itself out. It seemed like forever, but, you know, it was probably no more than a few seconds. These huge explosions weren't happening 300 feet in the air. They're happening at ground level and whizzing by. So when the second volley of unintended explosions had died off, my younger brother had a hose that we had prepared just for this instance, and he started filling the tubes up from a safe distance with arcs of water. And it was just dead silent. I mean, the whole neighborhood was dead silent. And there was the creepy smoke just kind of wafting past. You know, it was no air. It was really hot. And I just started running around screaming, is anybody, is anybody hurt? Is everybody okay? And everybody was okay. Looking around, I saw my patio umbrella shredded like like a Civil War flag. And some young kid says, dude, there's a hole in your house. And I looked at the back of my house, just past this umbrella, there was, in fact, a hole about a yard in diameter in the back of my kitchen, and there was smoke just coming out. And I thought, oh my God, my, my kids are in there. So I ran inside and there was smoke hugging the ceiling but my son was right there on the couch, asleep like he had been. My oldest sister had, at that point, burst through the front door. She grabbed my son and said, I've got Maddie from upstairs. I've got your kids. We're going. And I, great. I mean, that was one thing I didn't have to deal with. The kitchen was destroyed, absolutely destroyed. When the mortar hit the back of the house, it hit a stud, pulverized it, it blew the cabinets off the wall. All the dishes that were in there were strewn across the hardwood floors in pieces. I am, I am, I am, I repeat, the luckiest man on the face of the earth. The only person who got hit with anything miraculously was my oldest niece, who was 150 feet across the street. And she got hit with part of a shell in the knee. It didn't break her skin. It just stung. But as a matter of precaution, my sister took her to the emergency room. My sister did not know at the time she took her to the emergency room 
that any injury resulting from these illegal fireworks triggered this newly enacted provision of the anti-terrorism bill, the domestic explosives provision, such that if you have illegal fireworks and there's any physical injury, you can be prosecuted under federal law. And it had just taken effect within the 30 days preceding this 4th of July. This old man from the year before, who had complained to me about my M80s and to whom I'd been such a smart aleck, he and his son were coming up the driveway. And his son is wagging a finger saying, you caught my roof on fire. You caught my roof on fire. Now, I didn't believe it because he lived so far away. But the fact was, he was watching from his second story window my fireworks display, and one of the mortars shot horizontally and hit right underneath his roof and started a flame. After they got that flame put out, they called the police and the fire department. So right after the man and his son came up yelling at me, a guy in uniform, policeman, came walking into the backyard. I could hear the sirens, you know, and I was like, oh, this is not good. The policeman came up and said, I assume you've got a permit for this, just being a smart aleck. And I said, you know, I got a lot of stuff to deal with here. Write me a ticket and leave me alone. In my mind, the only thing I could possibly be guilty of, besides total stupidity and inconsideration, was a city ordinance violation. And so I immediately apologized to him and said, look, I'm, I'm sorry to be a jerk, but I got to deal with this. And he just kind of nodded and he said, all right, wait right here. Pretty soon he came back with his sergeant. And they were talking to me, wanting to know from whence these fireworks had come. And I said, I don't want to get into that. I said, listen, I got to go to the bathroom. He's like, no, you're in custody. I'm like, I'm in custody. I'm on my own swing set. He's like, yeah, but you're in custody. You're going to stay right here. They eventually handcuffed me and did the perp walk down my driveway to the waiting paddy wagon. So while I'm sitting on the paddy wagon, my folks show up. Now, I'm 42 or 3 years old, and if you think you ever outgrow your parents' look of disdain, you never do. My dad looked over at me, and it was just, Oh, you know how parents are. They don't have to say anything. They just give you that look, and I just melted in a puddle of shame. I signed the consent to search. Everything they were looking for was in the garage. So they saw all these different, like, exotic-looking ignition devices coupled with the mortars and decided maybe the feds wanted to take a look at this. And they finally decided they were just going to take me downtown. And as they drove me north on Highway 71... All I could do was drink in the ice-cold air, knowing from my clients what it's like to spend a night in the Kansas City jail. And it's hideous. And I knew I wouldn't sleep. I knew I wouldn't go to the bathroom down there if it was anything like my clients had told me. And right about 22nd Street, they got off the highway and turned around and started heading back south. And I asked the officers, I'm like, okay, so what happened? They said, we just got radioed to take back. The feds wanted this case. Two days later, I was home late afternoon, 
sleeping, taking a nap. My wife came up and said, wake up, wake up. There's two ATF agents at the door. Well, sure enough, they had intended to file federal criminal charges. The bottom line was they wanted to know where I got these explosives. I told my wife, I'm like, I'm not going to tell them. I mean, I've been getting stuff from this guy for a long time. And we kind of had an understanding. I was giving him a lot of cash and he was giving me cool stuff. And I probably wasn't the only one that was he was doing this with. And if word got out, I mean, literally, he had threatened to kill me, you know, kind of half jokingly in one of these transactions. But I knew that it was big trouble for us. And she said, you know what? I know where you got him and I'll tell him I am not going to visit your ass in Leavenworth with three little kids. And eventually she did. She convinced me that uh, if I wanted to avoid this prosecution, I had to cooperate, just like I had advised my clients on so many occasions before. And the horrible part of it was that this guy who'd been so nice to me, there was a federal criminal prosecution and he was put on trial. It was a week long jury trial. The jury basically heard, okay, wait a minute. This idiot blew up his own house, plus two neighbors. His insurance paid for all of it. Why are we here? And they found the guy not guilty. So he was acquitted, but he was still mad. After the prosecution had ended, the ATF agent advised me that they would be keeping an eye on me. So we don't have snakes at my house. We don't have sparklers. We no longer celebrate the 4th of July in traditional style. The 4th of July, I stay inside. And I listen to the amateurs in the neighborhood lighting off their little consumer fireworks. You know, there are other things that are far more important to me than being the guy with the biggest explosives. I still put on the coolest Halloween in the world. John Humphrey is a defense attorney in Kansas City. This episode of Midwesternish was reported and produced by KCUR's Sylvia Maria Gross with help from intern Zach Lewandowski. You can subscribe to this podcast on NPR One or wherever you generally do that kind of thing. If you're liking Midwesternish and you want to hear more stories from our little crew, you can check out Central Standard. That's a daily talk show that I host on Kansas City's public radio station, KCUR. 89.3. Head to kcur.org to give it a listen.